Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Message that we dig into these 24 verses that we're going to get a glimpse of what that deeper grace actually looks like. And so if there's, there's one thing that we can talk about, it's going to be in two parts. We're going to talk about how God chooses by grace For what purpose? To magnify His grace. God, how does He choose? He chooses by grace. For what purpose? To magnify His grace. We're going to look at the first six verses as we talk about how God chooses by grace. Let's read verses 1 to 6. I ask then, has God rejected His people? By no means, for for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, for if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Right before we get to this passage in chapter 11, Paul asks a series of questions in 9 and 10. And he asks these questions, and the questions lead to discussions on God's sovereignty and God's choice and righteousness through faith. And as he talks about this question, now he's talking about how God chooses by grace, and he uses a question to set up this whole discussion. And the question is, if 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 Israel is not here, has God rejected his people? If, if Israel rejected God, did, did God also reject his Because God is sovereign. God could have done all these things. And Paul's admonition to us is, no, of course not. Of course he didn't. That was not his plan. That's not what he wanted to do. It's because he wanted to show us that God chooses by grace and not by anything that we do. He gives two examples evidence of how God chooses by grace. The first example is himself. He uses Paul himself as evidence for how God chooses by grace. And we're like, well, when we, when we think about Paul, he talks about how he's a Benjamite, he's a tribe of Israel, and he's like, yeah, I'm an Israelite. God has chosen me. And when we think of Paul, we're like, well, of course God will choose Paul. He was like the greatest missionary. He was the greatest evangelist in the history of history. And we're like, of course God will choose Paul. But Paul himself, in the letters that he wrote, he would not have chosen Paul. Paul's view of himself is the lowest of the low, this most sinful person in entirety. If you look in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, it says, The saying, trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That was Paul's view of himself. And if you take this out of context, you, you're like, wow, Paul, you, you need some confidence, man. Like, you are, you are so inward-focused. You are so self-deprecating. How can you think you're the worst of sinners? But that was Paul's view of himself. He was like, I am so, so wretched and sinful. I don't deserve anything. And we're like, why, Paul, why? And you remember, Paul was the one who killed Christians. He, he, was, he was called Saul. And we see in Acts 8.3, what did he do? Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragged off men and women, committed them to prison. So Paul legitimately, he was a messed up guy. He was killing people. 
And not only any people, he was killing Christians, the people of God. And if there was anyone that didn't deserve God's choosing of him, it was Paul. And many of us are like that. We didn't deserve anything. In fact, we feel like we're the worst of the worst. And we feel like God shouldn't have chosen us, but God is saying, I chose Paul in, in, in the wretchedness, in the wickedness of his whole person. I chose him by grace. Not only did he choose Paul by grace, but he also chose a whole different set of people by grace. He chose 7,000 men. He looks at not only Paul, but he looks out now 7,000 men. And he now goes in and tells the story of Elijah. And some of us might remember from 1 Kings, Elijah was this great prophet of Israel. And he was also very renowned in Jewish time. If you remember on, on the transfiguration when Jesus went up to that mountain, there was this glowing like theophany and he saw Moses and Elijah with Jesus. So Elijah is one of these like amazing people in Jewish tradition. <clears throat> and Paul tells the story about Elijah. How Elijah, he came and he was confronting the king and queen of Israel, Ahab and Jezebel. They were the most wicked king in the books of the kings. And why, did they, why were they wicked? Because they were worshiping Baal. They were worshiping foreign, foreign uh, religion, foreign gods. And so Elijah, what he did before Paul talks about him, is Elijah, he, he comes and he does a confrontation with all the Baal priests. And he literally shows them that God's power is so much greater. And then after they are shown to be a fraud, because the Baal priests are, that's not really God. They end up killing all the Baal priests. So what happens when Ahab and Jezebel, these wicked king and queen, find out that that, uh, that Elijah did what he did. Jezebel said, I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill Elijah. I'm, I'm going to crucify. I'm going to, I'm going to do away with him. So Elijah runs away into the wilderness and he's running away and he's running away. And he, he's like, God, where are you? And he's looking for God and he can't find him. And, and he's like, finally, God speaks to him in a whisper. And he has this conversation that Paul records here that I think is really significant when it talks about why God chose the 7,000. Because Elijah when God speaks to him, God is like, what are you doing here, Elijah? Here, Elijah responds. He says, I'm the only one left. They've demolished your altars. They've killed your people. And I am the only one left. I've done all these things. And I'm the only one. I'm the only faithful one to you and your commandments. And what does God say? He says, no, you're not. I've saved 7,000 other people that you don't even know about. Isn't, isn't that amazing? Just, just pause there for, for a moment and think about, here is Elijah, the righteous person, the only person. Where were those other 7,000 people when Elijah was duking it out with the Baal priests? Where were those 7,000 other people when Elijah was righteously claiming God's kingdom and saying, you're all sinful, you're turning to these Baal gods and not turning to the living God. And, and now Elijah is being persecuted for his faith, running away in the wilderness, and he's all alone. Where were those 7,000 other people? What did they do to be chosen? Nothing. They did absolutely nothing. That's the beauty of this example that Paul is using, using of Elijah. He's saying, Elijah, it's not about you. It's not about what you did. It's not about all the miracles. It's not about how righteous you were. It wasn't about the, the, the battle that you duked it out with the Baal priest. You you all, all of those things that you did mean nothing because I've saved 7,000 other people that did nothing that you did and I've chosen them by grace so that grace would actually be grace, not by works because if it were by works, then grace 
would not actually be grace. So you have Paul, many of us who think that if we've done so many bad things that we, we, we shouldn't be chosen, and you have others of us like Elijah who think that if we've done all these good things then we ought to be chosen, but what have you fallen? You've fallen into the work trap. And this is so many of us, right? So many of us, we fall into the Paul camp where you're like, man, I, I am so addicted. I, I am. I have given into sexual morality. I, ha- I have fallen away from I've fallen away from the church. I haven't served. I haven't loved anyone. I've been lying, cheating, deceiving, running after my own dreams. And there's no way that God could love someone like me. There's just no way. And you're like, there's too many things that I've done that would separate me from God. And what is God saying to you? God is saying, I did not choose you because of what you've done. I did not choose you because of the wicked and evil things that you have done. I chose you because it is my prerogative, my grace, just to choose you because I wanted to choose you. Others of us, we fall in the, Paul, or we fall in the Elijah camp. We're like, God, look at all the things that I've done. Look at, look at how many times I've served in church. Look at, look at all the soaps, all the Bible reading that I've done. I, I deserve this. Look at, look at. I wake up every Monday morning, 7.30 a.m., Monday blessings. Bless me, because I, Monday blessings. And I've done all these things. I've served, I've worshiped, I've prayed, I've, I've been part of soul community. I've done all these things. God, you should bless me. And I know many of them, we, we don't explicitly say, God, you should bless me, because that would, that, would, that would not be holy. But many of us, we think it deep down inside of our hearts. And Paul uses this example of Elijah says, all that is, is, is meaningless. All that is meaningless. Because God chooses you, not because of your reputation, not because of your works, not because of your, your ethnicity, not because of your skin color, not because of your social status, not because of your career, not because of anything that you've done or have not done. God chooses you simply because he wanted to choose you. And that is grace. That is something you didn't deserve. That is something you did not merit. It's not by works. Because if it was by works, grace would not be grace. Is this not good news? Is this not good news? And I want to speak to some of us that we are downtrodden and we feel like there's no way. I I cannot come to God right now where I am. I, I cannot... Even, even show my face at church. I, I, I just, I, I feel like I've been so far for so long. I, I was, uh, I didn't grow up in a, a Christian household. When I came into college, I uh, joined a life group and I was like kind of exploring this faith and, and initially I wasn't really like open to Christianity, but after I joined life group, like many of you, I had this experience of like, wow, they're so weirdly nice. <laughs> like why, why is everyone in life group so nice? And not only they're so nice, it's not just like a superficial niceness where you go to a networking event and everyone's trying to be nice so they can get your contact and get something from you, but they're genuinely nice. They, they love you, not with a human kind of love, but with a love that God provides. And I'm like, whoa, that blows me away. And I, I don't have that love. And I, and I was sitting there going to life group time after time because there's something different about this group. There's something different about these people. And lo and behold, after some time that first year, I was a student 
my, my freshman year in university, I said, oh, there's something in me that wanted to, wanted to become Christian. I said, I want to have the same love that they do. I want to have the same joy that they do. I want to experience the same vibrance of life that they are exhibiting. Not that they're perfect, but there's something different about what they have that I don't have. And so I began to say, how can I be this way? And how can I become Christian? And every time I would meet with my LCG, he would say, do you feel like you can be a comfort? I was like, no, I, I just can't. I, it's so hard. I, I, I don't pray well enough. Like all my other friends who are Christian, they, they pray, they read their Bible, and they, they love other people. They seem to like do all these good things for others. And like, I just can't ever imagine doing all these things because like every single time I try to have a good intention, I, I, I fall short and I, I can't. And, and my heart is so wicked and, and, and problematic. And so, we, you know, we would have that same conversation over and over again in LCG. And it wasn't until about three-fourths of the way into the second semester I met up with one of my other life group leaders, and we were just catching up, sharing, talking, chatting. And, and they just started asking me questions like, oh, you know, how is your relationship with your LCG? What have you guys been talking about? Like, what do you think about the Bible studies and, and God and all that kind of stuff? And they started asking me questions like, you know, oh, so do you believe you're like messed up and you're sinful? I was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm like everything. I, I'm not good. My intentions aren't even good. And like, I am... I don't have that joy and that hope that other people have. I, I, I'm hopeless. And they're like, okay, well, but do you believe that Jesus can give you that hope? Like, do you believe that his death that we, we've been talking about in Bible study and his resurrection, like there's power in that and that, that, that's possible to give you that hope. And if you trust in him for that, that you could actually have that eternal life. I was like, yeah, like, I, I really want to believe that. I really want to believe that because, man, my, the life that I'm living is so messed up. And, and, and that being true, like, that would be great. Like, I, w- I would love that. And then they asked me a question. So would you want to live, like, the rest of your life for Jesus? W- would you want to, like, and experience all those things? Would you want to commit to living, no matter what it costs you, to commit to living that so you can experience that? And I was like, yeah, I would love that. Man, I, I would so enjoy that. Like, because, man, my old life sucks. I, w- I would love that. And here I was sitting there, and I was just like, why is she asking me? Why, why is this person asking me these questions? <laughs> and the response that I got was, I think you might already be Christian. And I was like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. I take everything that I said back. <laughs> like, wait, what, what are you talking about? I thought, I thought you had to do all this stuff. I thought you had to, like, you know, read the Bible a certain way. I thought you had to pray a certain way. I thought you had to, like, be a certain good person in order to know that you're Christian. And... And, and then my life for leader was like, what are you talking about? Your, your, your choosing of you, God choosing you and allowing you to believe is not by your ability or your effort to believe. It is purely by God's grace. It is purely by God's grace. And yeah, I was like, I was shot. I was like, I don't even know what to do. And I was like, I, I want to take it back. But then I couldn't take it back because I already shared it. It revealed what I already believed deep down inside. And I, and I left that meeting just feeling so free. Like there was this burden on my shoulder that was just lifted off and I was like, there is something amazing about grace that I've never experienced before. And and I wanna share that story because even my process of receiving Jesus Christ wasn't my own doing. God had a plan and he chose me not because of what I did. If he had chose me because I didn't do anything that he wanted me to do. I didn't grow up living this perfect Christian life. I didn't do anything that he wanted me to do. And in fact, I felt like I had to do more things in order to receive him. But he chose me. He allowed me to believe purely by his unmerited favor for me. And I invite many of you who are in that same place where you're like, I, 
I feel like I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough. There's no way I could merit some of his favor. You don't have to and you can't. But if God has chosen you by his grace, he's just inviting you to respond, to receive it. And when you receive it, that's the only thing you could do is, is, is receiving it. And, and God is going to bless you with that. And I want to invite you, if, if you're in that place where you don't know if you have a relationship with God, you don't know if God has chosen you or not, you don't know where Jesus is in your life, I want to invite you to ask God for that grace. Ask God, Lord, where, what are you doing in my life? And invite Him into your life. Invite Him into your heart. Invite Him into everything about what you're going through right now. And His grace that is not dependent on anything that you've done will cover you. And it is the most freeing and the most joyful experience that you will ever encounter. Now, some of us on the other side are getting a little bit uncomfortable. You're like, Pastor Bo, I, I know grace is grace. and Theoretically, it's supposed to be nothing that we do. But how can you say that it's so free that you don't have to do anything? Because aren't you incentivizing people not to want to follow God, not to read their Bible, not to... Because what about all those people who just say that they're Christian, but they don't actually do anything about it? Well, I'm going to let Paul address you in verse 7 to 10. So let's read those couple verses. It says, What then? Israel failed to attain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. We saw examples in the first couple of verses, one to six, about how God chooses by grace. And this is an example of how God chooses by grace, but people who don't see it by grace end up not being chosen. And, and, and what I said earlier, we're, we're, we're getting uncomfortable because we're like, how, how can this be? Like, how can grace be so free? And there's this feeling in us that are like, this, this should not be so. There's got to be something that we do as a result of that. And Paul is saying, you can't do anything. Because if you believe that it's something related to what you do, then you're effectively canceling out the very grace that God is putting everything on. His choice. Why did Israel fail? Israel failed because they thought it was by what they did. They didn't see it was grace. Look at those two quotations from the Old Testament. Verse 8 is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 29. And I'm not going to read it again, but Moses is talking now to the Israelites right before they go in the promised land. This is after 40 years of wilderness. And he's saying, look at all the things I've done for you. Manna, I've given you food every single day, water to drink, I've been with you, directing you, leading you, and now I'm bringing you to the promised land. And this verse, it says what? It says, they, God gave them a spirit of truth. They, they would not see and their ears would not hear. So what? It wasn't like God didn't try. God showed them. Every, they, he showed them his grace. His grace was in the manna. His grace was in the water. His grace was leading them day and night with a pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, and leading them into the promise. That was his grace. And it says, they did not see or hear. Why did they fall? Why did they fail? Because they didn't see that it was grace. They didn't see it had nothing to do with what they did. They didn't see that. He gives another example, verse 9. It's a quotation David 
from Psalm 69, verses 22 to 23. And David is now lamenting because he has all these enemies. And all these enemies are criticizing David because David sinned. He messed up. And they're attacking him. And, and David in this psalm is saying, please, Lord, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Why is he saying that? And why is God allowing that to happen to the Israelites? It's because the people who are attacking David, what did they not see? They did not see that David was not chosen because of his good works. Because if he was chosen by good works, as soon as he sinned, what should happen? He should be kicked out of his kingship. But David wasn't chosen by his works. He was chosen by grace. He was chosen not because he did all these great things. He was chosen as a young, ruddy kid, as a shepherd boy, for God's greater purposes. God's unmerited favor. And the reason why those people who are attacking David did not see that, which were the Israelites, his own brothers and sisters, is because they didn't see it was, it was about grace. They didn't see it was, great, it was about grace. Well, if you don't see it's about grace, what is it? You end up seeing it's about works. If it's not about grace, it's about works. And if you're all about works, then what happens? Just look at your life. Look at the Israelites. What do they end up doing? They, they fall into condemnation, fall into judgment. And if we look at our lives today, if you don't see it by grace, what are the fruits that come out of your life? What are some signs? Because some of us are like, yeah, Pastor Bo, I know. I, I know it's not by works. That's not me. Don't worry. I, I'm all about, I'm Mr. Grace and I'm Mrs. Grace. Or Miss Grace, for some of you who are not married yet. But look at your life. Do you experience, do you, do, you, do you judge others often? If you judge people, that means you're not living out of grace. I, I got a whole list here. Let's go down it. Comparison. Do you constantly compare yourself with other people? Are you like, how come that person got that thing? How come I didn't get that thing? It's because you're not living out of grace. Jealousy. Unforgiveness. Someone wronged you, someone maligned you, someone, someone did something to you that you didn't like, that hurt you in some way, and you, you are holding it against them. You're not living out of grace. Bitterness, resentment, lack of joy. How many of us, we, we haven't experienced that deep joy in such a long time, years even? You're not living out of grace. Despair. Anger. How many of us, our emotions get the best of us? And, and we, we look at some situation, we get angry. Not, not, I'm not talking about righteous anger. I'm talking about self-centered anger. Like they, they, they deserve something. You're not living out of grace. You didn't receive grace. You don't believe it's grace. You're not living out of grace. Hopelessness. Apathy. God, I've tried for so long and you're not giving it to me and I feel like I deserve it. You're not living out of grace. Those are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the consequences of not living out of grace. Those, those are the human, human consequences. Can you imagine what are the eternal consequences of not living out of grace? We don't even want to go there. But I want to, I want to implore you. God chooses by grace. He doesn't choose you by word. He doesn't choose you by anything that you did or you didn't do. Let's not make the mistake of thinking it's all about what we have done or what we have not done because God's choice for us, His choosing of us, His choosing of the Israelites or the Gentiles is not by anything that they did, but purely by His grace.
Tim Keller, from his book, Counterfeit Gods, this is what he writes. He says, if you want God's grace, all you need is need. All you need is, need, is this sense of need, this attitude of need, this, this posture of being in need. And all you need is nothing. Nothing. You can't have anything. You can't bring God with your anything. But that kind of spiritual humility is hard to muster. We must come to God saying, we're sorry, we come to God saying, look at all I've done, or maybe look at all I've suffered. God, however, wants us to look at him to just wash. That's all. That's it. We need to come in God's grace. The way that we come in God's grace is to say, God, all, all I need, I, I need the sense of need. I need to be needy. I'm like, I don't want to be needy, but you, <laughs> you got to be needy. Not in the bad, needy kind of way, but you got to be needy with God. Like, God, I, I, don't, I don't have anything. I have nothing. And everything I had comes from you. And I can't do anything to deserve it, but you give me everything. And I can't say, look at how much I've done. I can't say, look at all the suffering I've enduring, all the insecurities I have. But I just look to you and just say, God, I, I just need to be cleansed. I need to be washed. I need your grace. My prayer is that we as a church, we'll be marked by grace. We'll be marked by a humbling realization that nothing that we've done and nothing that we will ever do in the future, nothing that we are currently doing can make any impact on God's choosing of us. That's unconditional love, unconditional election, unconditional grace for us. My prayer is that that would be what we experience together. Even though we talked about being cho God choosing by grace, I, I think... It's, it's all great and fine, and, but until you think about purpose, because as soon as you think about God choosing by grace, you, you ask yourself, what's the purpose? This is where it gets a little bit controversial. This is where it seems a little bit biased. Because God, why is, why is your choice so arbitrary, so biased, so, so random? And God is saying, my purpose, and what Paul is trying to explain us to us here is my purpose is to magnify my grace. And his purpose is to magnify his grace. Let's read verses 11 to 24. And it's going to be a little bit of a longer passage, but let's read through it and I'm going to uh, talk through it. Verse 11 to 24 says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity to those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Provided you continue 
in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So what's the purpose? This question of purpose, because if we don't have this good sense of purpose, then we're going to think it's biased. And the purpose that Paul is saying is to magnify God's grace. And that's really important because as soon as you magnify one thing, you end up minimizing the other. Or if you don't magnify God's grace, then you what? You're magnifying something else, yourself or work or something else in this world. And so when we look at verse 11, there's a very poignant question that Paul asks. He says, did they stumble in order that they might fall? That question, in order, connotes purpose. Paul's saying, what's the purpose? Why Why is it that God's grace chose by grace? Why is it that he chose by grace? Did, did, they, did they stumble? Was it so that they would forever be separated from God, from, from the, the chosen people, from the promises of God? And Paul says, of course not. But you have to know the purpose. Because if you don't know the purpose, then you're going to seem, you're going to think that it's biased. You're going to think it's unfair. You're going to think that it's problematic. You, you're going to get self-focused because you're going to magnify something else. You're not going to be magnifying God's grace. Paul talks about the danger of missing out on this greater purpose. He, he uses the Gentile Christians as the first example. He uses an analogy, and I'm going to look at verses 17 to 24 first. I'm going to go back to the first couple of verses. But we're going to look at the danger because this is a, such a poignant illustration for us. He, he talks about the analogy of the olive tree. The olive tree, the cultivated olive tree was Israel. The wild olive tree were the Gentiles or anyone who was not Jewish because the cultivated olive tree was the chosen people of God, the root. It was talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people that God originally gave the promise to. And he's saying, you Gentiles were grafted in, meaning you were saved because God chose you. He brought you into the chosen people of God. And what is he saying? Is some of you Gentile people, Gentiles who are now Christian, Gentiles who have now inherited, been part of, been grafted into this tree. You, you are now inherited, uh, inheriting the salvation, the joy, the people of God. You are now getting proud. He's saying you are now getting proud. He says, do not be arrogant. He says, do not become proud, but fear. He's saying the things that you're saying are things like branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. So essentially what they're saying is the purpose of why Israel stumbled is so what? So that I, as a Gentile, I could come in. Hey, look at me, I'm here. And what's the problem with that? The problem is they didn't know the purpose. They didn't understand God's greater purpose. And Paul's warning them. He's saying, be careful that you know the purpose of God choosing by grace. It's not for you. The purpose is not about you. It has nothing to do with you. It's not about your individual salvation. Did you forget? When we talked about it in Romans 1 and 2, we said the gospel has nothing to do with your individual salvation. It's not so that you could be saved for yourself, for your own sake. Because if you would have been saved just for your own sake, you might as well just die and go to heaven right now. But God chose you for a greater purpose. There was something bigger that he wanted to accomplish by your salvation. Because if you think it's all about you, what happens? 
You minimize God's purpose, which is what? To magnify his grace. There's only room enough for one thing in our hearts. It's either God's glory and his grace or it's ourselves. If you make your purpose, your significance, your everything, the ultimate, then you're missing out. You're totally missing out on God's grace again because you think it's all about you. But if you realize God has a greater purpose, then things will shift around. Then you'll be humble. You won't get proud. You won't, you won't get arrogant. You won't think that, oh, look at me and I'm the purpose and I'm it and everything like that. And again, many of us are like, oh, I'm not, I'm not like that. I'm, I don't think that I'm God's gift to humanity. But in so many ways, every single day, we make our greatest purpose something about ourselves rather than God. You make it your career. You make it your grades. Those of you who are students, those of you who have children, you make it your children. And all of those things fall short of God's greater purpose, which is to magnify His grace. I think for me, I mean, it's so easy to lose, lose sight of the greater purpose. And, and you're like, of all people, a pastor, how can you lose sight of your greatest purpose? Man, like there, I, I, am, I am so wretched and so broken in so many ways. And, and I know one of my purposes in this moment and, and, and as I'm growing as a pastor and as I'm doing all these things is not only to be a pastor, but to be a father. And, but I realize there's so many times I miss out on that bigger purpose. And not to be a father for the sake of my children, because if I make my children my idol, then that's going to be a problem too. But to be a father, what? To magnify God's glory. To do it in a way that honors and glorifies God. To experience the joy of the Lord through the grace that God has given to me. And in doing that as a father, I'm doing that so that I can magnify grace to my own son. Now, my son's a baby. How do I do that? <laughs> I mean, it's not like I'm going to give a big lecture on God's grace. No, I just, I interact with him. I play with him. And I think it was recently that man, over this whole season, we've been working from home, we've been in COVID, we haven't been able to go out. And like the, the lines between work, which is ministry for me as a pastor, and, and childcare and being a father are so blurred. And there's constantly times where I feel so, so much tension of like, man, I should be doing more ministry, I should be doing more stuff. And I, I constantly go back and forth and I find out that I end up even when I'm at home, because Erica's working, even when I'm at home by myself, I end up, what do I do? I'm trying to do as much ministry stuff when I should be taking care of my child. And, and uh, I was watching this video the other day, and I, I think something just dropped in my heart when I saw this. Because I realized when, I, when part of my responsibility, part of my purpose is to magnify God's grace to my own child, I am turning toward my own purpose but the purpose I made for myself, which is to be this somehow great pastor, to preach great sermons, to lead great meetings. And while those things are good, I made those my ultimate things rather than seeing God's grace as the ultimate thing that I ought to be living my life for. And part of that is to take care of my kid and to interact with him. And, and I want to show you a quick video of something that made my heart drop because it just, it just shook me and just made me realize what I'm missing out on. And this is a video, so... We have some people come over and, and play with him. And so I was working on ministry stuff. And this happened, and it just really spoke to me. And it really caused me, uh, when I was watching this video, I was like, man, I need to repent because my purpose has been shifted. So it's quick video, 20 seconds. Watch it, and I'll show you why uh, it affected me.
Oh, isn't that cute, right? That was not my first reaction when I saw that video. Because here I was all along just doing my ministry, thinking my purpose, my ultimate purpose was to be this great pastor. And I missed out that God has a greater purpose for me. Not only just to be a, a good father, but just to play with my own kid. To, to, to allow him to experience joy. And I realized like, other people are playing with him and allowing him to find so much joy. I mean, for him, he doesn't care, right? If there's anyone that can bring me joy and make me laugh, he's satisfied. He's happy. But I don't know. Something just broke in me where I was just like, man, God, I, I, I've, I've twisted your purpose for me. And I am abdicating my responsibility as a father to magnify your grace, grace that produces such pure joy in a child, like, where is that God in my life? Do I, see, do I look forward to playing with my child? Do I sense the sense of grace and privilege to play with my own child, to give him this opportunity to experience joy and further grace in the future? Or am I going to go on this track of not paying attention to my child and, and having him growing up with an emotionally absent father who doesn't pay attention to him, and, and I totally ruined this idea of grace as a father. Not only does he see as his earthly father is like that, he doesn't see that in his heavenly father. And I missed that as my purpose, and I just said, God, I'm sorry because I've gone so far away from you. And I, and I share that as a confession because even in doing ministry, doing the very good things of God, I've strained I've, I've, I've fallen away from God's purposes. How much more for many of us? We do so many other things. You're a student, you're a worker, you're a friend, you're a family member, you're a husband, you're a wife. How many more opportunities are there every single day for us to stray away from our original purpose, to magnify God's grace to other people, to show them how beautiful God's grace is, Instead of focusing so much on ourselves and our purpose and what we need to accomplish in this world compared to what God is trying to accomplish in this world. And you're like, but I don't see what that purpose is. What is that purpose? What happens when you know that purpose? Something fundamentally changes. Something fundamentally changes. And Paul describes this when he talks about Gentile Christians and now Israel salvation. Verse 11 to 12, I, I want to look at that. You can just look at it on the screen again, but I'm not going to read through it again. But pretty much if you summarize it, Paul is saying the purpose, the purpose of, my grace, or of God's grace is what? So Israel's trespass would lead to what? Gentile salvation. Gentile salvation would lead to what? Israel's jealousy. And then Israel's jealousy would lead to what? Israel's salvation. And Paul is saying, if this is true then what do I want to do? I want to magnify my ministry. And you're like, hold on. Wait, I thought this was magnifying God's grace. Paul, you're magnifying your own ministry. Isn't that self-centered? Paul's like, no, it's not. Why? Because my magnifying of my ministry, what is my ministry? I am apostle to the Gentiles. That's what Paul says. My ministry, which is Gentiles getting saved, which is a result of Israel's trespass, leads to what? Israel's jealousy, which leads to what? Israel's salvation. 
And it doesn't mean every single person in Israel or Jewish is going to be saved. That some of them, by faith, through grace, are going to be saved. So if I can do whatever I can to magnify my ministry, if that's going to magnify God's grace, then I want to do whatever I can to save some of my brothers and sisters, my Jewish brothers and sisters, so that God's grace can be magnified. How many of us, how many of us we have that kind of mentality? I am willing to do whatever, my whole life, orient my whole life around something so that someone else can be saved. So that someone else can experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of our lives, to magnify God's grace so that others can hear about it and make a decision of whether they want to receive it or not. And Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't say it's just for Jewish salvation. He doesn't say, you know, there's controversial issues of people saying like, oh, is it the people of God? Is it the church? Is it? But, but it's about God's grace more than anything else. And he says, it's not just about Jewish salvation. It's not just about Gentile salvation. Look at verse 12 and 15 again. I'll just read it really briefly. It says, now if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And then in verse 15, it says, For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Let me ask you a question. Who was it that trespass meant riches for the world? Who was it where their rejection meant reconciliation for the world? Who was it whose acceptance meant life from death? The bottom line of everything, this purpose of magnifying God's grace is that that grace is Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one whose trespass led to riches for the world, for everyone to come to know God and be blessed. Jesus Christ was the one who was rejected so that the whole world could be reconciled. Jesus Christ is the one whose acceptance now rising again from the grave to the right hand at the throne of God means life from death for every single one of us. It's Jesus Christ that gives us all of these things and Israel's salvation will point us back to Jesus Christ and all that he's accomplished. That's the point. We magnify Jesus Christ more than anyone else in this whole universe. That is who we magnify. When we magnify God's grace, who are we magnifying? We're magnifying Jesus Christ. And my question is, is your purpose to magnify Jesus Christ with your whole life? Does your whole life reek of Jesus' death and resurrection? Everything that you do, every word that you speak, every action that you do, every purpose that you live for, is it magnifying Jesus Christ? telling other people about Jesus Christ, making Him known, making Him beautiful, making Him awesome and amazing. Because if this grace is that amazing, why would we not want to tell other people about Him? Why would we not want to take every opportunity with our colleagues, with our friends, with our families, with our roommates, with our classmates, with our groupmates, everyone, that we have contact and opportunity to magnify, to say, God, you are the purpose. Jesus, you are the purpose of why everything happened. You are the purpose for why you chose by grace so that Jesus could be magnified. And isn't it amazing that when, when you preach the gospel, when you share about Jesus Christ, you magnify him. If they reject him, what happens? God's grace is magnified. 
And if they somehow come and they accept him, what happens? God's grace is magnified because what? It's about Jesus. If they reject Jesus, God is magnified. God is glorified. If they accept Jesus, God is magnified. God is glorified. You need to magnify Jesus. Martin Lord Jones, in one of his sermons, he said, It is grace at the beginning, grace at the end, so that when you and I come to lie upon our deathbeds, the one thing that should comfort and help and strengthen us there is the thing that helped us in the beginning. Not what we have been, not what we have done, but the grace of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. The Christian life starts with grace. It must continue with grace. It ends with grace. Grace, wondrous grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And who is that grace that's speaking about? Speaking about Jesus Christ. Let's believe that it's grace at the beginning, grace at the end, grace that pervades our whole life. We are chosen by grace and we are purposed to magnify his grace, to share his good news, to tell other people about Jesus. Let's not waste this opportunity. People are literally dying every single day. You look at the news. People are dying every single day and you're like, well, I can't talk with those elderly people. I can't speak Kennedy. That's not an excuse. You have so many people around you that you can speak to. Invite them to Easter. Tell them about Jesus. Be unashamed because that's your purpose. Find winsome ways to do that. If you don't know how to share your faith, ask. Don't make excuses. And use this opportunity to witness to the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that we would know that God chooses by grace that will give us a purpose, which is to magnify His grace. There's a couple things I want to give us, some practical things for us to, to, to internalize this, and hopefully this will help us live it out. The first thing hopefully you can do is just be amazed by grace. Just be amazed. Be in awe. I think some of us, we just forget how amazing this news and this wonderful proclamation of the gospel is. And it's going dull in our hearts. Why? Because we've gone into work. So sometimes the next step, you can't, it's not something you could do. It's something you've got to be. And I know for many of us, it's really hard. Like, how can I be? I can't do anything. Well, that's the point. You can't do anything. You just have to be. And sometimes that means you just can't. You just have to sit there. Well, one thing you could do without doing works is what? You do nothing. And how do you do nothing? You just sit there. You just sit there and you're just in awe of God. The fact that you have air to breathe. The fact that you didn't get COVID. The fact that you didn't die. The fact that you were spared. That should amaze us. The second thing is repent of a workspace righteousness. Some of us, we're so stuck in that works-oriented nature. We have to repent. We can't do, we can't get out of it ourselves. That's me too. We need to repent. We have to repent, not just once, every single day. Lord, I'm sorry because I constantly go back to works based righteousness. Lord, help me, heal me, forgive me, receive me, and help me to recommit to living by grace rather than works. Thirdly, is live each day to magnify God's grace. Whatever that looks like for you. If you're, if you're in the workplace, Ask God, Lord, how can, I, how can I live, how can I work with a sense of grace in my life? And how can I magnify God's grace in the way that I work? It's both, yes, verbally sharing it, but it has to do with your actions too. The, the way that you interact with your colleagues, the way that you don't judge people, the way that you forgive people easily, the way that you have hope, the way you have joy that comes out from nothing that you did, but because of God's love for you, 
it shows you something and your colleagues will recognize, your classmates will recognize, other families will recognize there's something different about this person. What is it? So live each day to magnify God's grace. And lastly, is to share God's grace with someone and invite them to Easter. I want you to specifically identify two or three people in your life that you can share God's grace with. And I want you to think about, we're going to have Easter. We're going to do it online, but we're going to find ways to interact with them. We're going to do our best. Pastor Seth and I are committed to preaching the gospel, magnifying God's grace so that we will see people saved by His grace. And it will magnify His grace. What an amazing opportunity that we have this Easter to do that, to reach people that would never come into a church gathering, but they will turn on a TV. They will open up a stream. Let's respond together. I know it's been some time, so if you could just stand where you're at. And what I want us to do is just to spend some time being amazed by God's grace. If you need to repent, then do that. And whatever it is that God is speaking to you, just respond in prayer. Just respond and say, God, I've I've fallen away so, so far from your grace. I've forgotten. I've made it all about my works. I've made it all about my purpose. And I've forgotten about you. Let's respond to him. Let's confess. We'll sing a song. And then I want us to actually, not right now, but I want us to actually spend some time also ministering to one another as we think about inviting someone to Easter to magnify God's grace to show the world, to tell people how amazing His grace is. So can we do that first on our own? Let's just spend some time first being amazed at God's grace, repenting of our workspace righteousness, and then we'll sing a song together. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.